Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Dialogue with Divinity. This is Johanna Carroll on the Exxon Broadcast Network. The intention of Dialogue with Divinity is to bring you the wisdom keepers of our time. And I'm very pleased to have a wonderful guest with us today who's, she's really contributed to the whole system and energy of intuition and bringing spirituality to a whole new level. So she's got a lot of really great information. Her name is Colleen Morrow. She is the author of Spiritual Telepathy, Ancient Techniques to Access the Wisdom of Your Soul. She was the founder and editor-in-chief of Intuition Magazine, which explored the higher potential of the mind and the many and varied ways of intuitive knowing. The magazine provided how-to information, cutting-edge research, and interviews with leaders in their field. Colleen regularly gives lectures and seminars on the subjects of meditation and spiritual telepathy. So without further ado, we want to bring our wisdom keeper for today, Colleen Morrow, to our show. Welcome, Colleen. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So we were chatting a little bit before we went on air. We met many, many years ago when that word, you know, intuition was just sort of being birthed in a whole brand new way. And I want to talk a little bit about your magazine because it was around for a long, long time. And you actually had sort of a, a spiritual telepathic moment as far as the Intuition magazine birthing itself. Would you like to share with everyone how that came about? I'd love to. I'd love to tell the story because it's such a perfect illustration of the topic that I ended up writing about. I had always been interested in the spiritual world and intuitive studies. And in the late 80s, I was living in... San Francisco, and I had worked for several alternative magazines, and I suddenly found myself without a job, and I was trying to figure out what to do. I'd already worked for all the magazines I liked, so I was a little bit uncertain about what my next step would be, and I was really anxious about being unemployed in an expensive place like San Francisco, and so Mm -hmm. I was determined to get a job as soon as 
soon as possible. And I spent my days talking to editors and researching new magazines and, you know, really driving myself crazy worrying about money. And one morning I woke up and decided that I really needed to take a mental health day, that I'd give myself one 24-hour period where I didn't think about the fact that I was unemployed. I would just be outside puttering around in my garden enjoying the moment. I went out and bought some bulbs. I remember it was October, my favorite month in San Francisco. And as I was puttering around in the garden, I had a type of intuitive experience that I'd never had before. A thought just flashed through my mind. And the thought was the center for applied intuition. And I had always accessed intuition through feelings or some sort of body-based sensation. But this was a purely mental experience. It felt like the words had been just dropped right into my brain. And I immediately knew that it wasn't my thought. And it made absolutely no logical sense. I knew about the center. And I had met the founder. But I couldn't imagine why I would go there to look for a magazine job. I knew he had a tiny two-room office and that he ran intuition trainings. But I couldn't imagine what that would have to do with uh, with a magazine job. So I, I thought about it for a few days, and then I thought, well, what the heck, I have nothing to lose. And I called him up, and I asked him to send me information about the center's activities. And I got a big package a few days later, and inside were several brochures and a very simple typewritten journal called Applied Sci. And this was the quarterly publication that he sent out to the center's 200 members, and it was all about the subjects of intuition and creativity. And as I flipped through the pages, I thought, wow, this could be a real magazine. It would have to be uh, reformatted and would have to have a different name. But I think a lot of people would be interested in these topics way beyond this tiny little membership. So I made an appointment to talk to him and went, went there a week or so later. And as I explained my idea, he just lit up and said that he had always dreamed of turning it into a real magazine, but the right person had never come along. So I went home, created a proposal, came back the next day, and I was suddenly launching a new magazine. We called it Intuition, a magazine for the higher potential of the mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. And I got two issues out before Bill closed the centers and, and signed the rights over to me. And I later got a grant and set up an office. And when I think about it now, there's several interesting things about the story. Is One, I never could have gotten there through rational process. It never would have occurred to me to, to go right. look him up when I was looking for a magazine job. Mm-hmm. And I got something better than what I was looking for. And I couldn't have seen that in the next decade there would be a flood of information on intuition, and the magazine really provided a focal point. So my intuition was ahead of, you know, what I rationally knew. And I um, ran the magazine until the year 2000, and then I started to study the Ageless Wisdom teachings very deeply. And I came across the concept of spiritual telepathy, and I realized that this was really the next step, that this was a, a higher, more advanced type of intuition and the logical next step from what I had done with the magazine. When you had your sort of aha moment that came from giving yourself a, I always say, you know, you unplug from the world and plug in your soul. To me, that just was so divinely inspired. Nothing that you intended on some level, yet you allowed yourself, for those of you that are listening, the space and the time for that actually to occur. So, what, you made a very interesting comment, and then we're going to go to break and come back and talk about uh, more about the wisdom teachings, that you knew that this thought did not come from you. You knew that very clearly. How did you know that? Really briefly, because we're going to jump to break in a few seconds. You know, it was just a, an intuitive reaction. It felt like a foreign object. You know, I just okay. knew that I hadn't generated it myself, and it literally wow. stopped me in my tracks. Okay. 
<laughs> Those things happen, people. So we're going to take a, sh- a short break and we're going to be right back. And we're going to talk more to Colleen Mora. We'll be right back. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Gibbs A. Williams, Ph.D., is a practicing psychoanalyst, supervisor, researcher, and author in New York City. Much of his life has been dedicated to understanding nature and the uses of meaningful coincidences or synchronicities. His radical and original non-Jungian, non-mystical, non-magical theory of synchronicities illuminates much of the fog surrounding this challenging and perplexing topic. His ideas and manners are fresh, presented in a style that is both entertaining and highly informative. He is also an expert on crisis intervention specially focused on violence reduction for the police and citizens, mastering anxiety, frustration and stress without the use of medication, and effectively preventing and treating heroin addiction. Dr. Williams can be contacted at his email address at gwwilliamsny11 at aol.com or visit his website at www.drgibbswilliams.com. This is Johanna Carroll, host of Dialogue with Divinity on the X-Zone Broadcast Network. While walking along Kanapali Beach in Maui this past year, I kept discovering all these shells and coral in the shape of hearts. My Dialogue with Divinity was very simple. Do you want me to do a retreat to heal people's hearts in Maui next year? And of course, the answer was yes. As a master spiritual teacher, I am offering you a neat retreat called RISE, May 8th through the 12th, 2017. And the chance of a lifetime to rest at a five-star resort for five days and experience a spiritual renewal of your heart and soul. Kanapali is one of the top five beaches in the world. This stunning resort has undergone a $40 million renovation. I walked the entire property, checked out the room choices on your behalf, and I must say it is stunning. Our conference room faces the ocean with sliding glass doors. Maui is known as Mother Maui because it is a soft, gentle, healing energy. In the embrace of Mother Maui, you will feel yourself rising from the limitations of an ordinary life to an extraordinary journey of peace, bliss, and harmony a greater sense of clarity. Our RISE retreat ignites renewal in the sacred elements of air, 
water, earth, fire, and wind. There's plenty of free time to enjoy all that Maui has to offer. A small deposit is required now to reserve your space as this retreat, it will sell out. For more details, please go to johannacarroll.com and register today. Aloha, and I'll see you in mystical Maui. Welcome back, everyone. This is Johanna Carroll, host of Dialogue with Divinity, and I'm so excited today. Our guest is someone I met a long, long time ago on the path of my journey, certainly, Colleen Morrow. She is the author of Spiritual Telepathy, Ancient Teachings to Access the Wisdom of Your Soul. We were just talking about the fact, and I think a lot of you can relate to this, that there are moments in your life, if you allow yourself the mental health day like Colleen did, that you have an aha moment where divine inspiration shows up. And for her, it was huge. She began Intuition Magazine many, many years ago in the late 1980s. And I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with it. Colleen, the magazine, I just remember it so vividly that it was kind of very unique for that time because the whole word intuition and spiritual journey and all, it was just gaining momentum. So, you know, this whole thing obviously had divine intention around it. We were talking before we went to break that your aha moment you clearly knew that that did not come from your own consciousness. Can you explain to people that are listening how you would know the difference? Well, again, it, it, it really struck me because it felt, again, like a foreign object in my brain. Yeah. And I actually stood there. It stopped me in my tracks, and I stood there, and I tried to trace back why I would have had that thought, and I couldn't come up with anything. I mean, it really came from out of the blue, and I knew instantly. I don't know. It's hard to put into words. And the way that you just know things sometimes, I just knew that it wasn't my thought, that it was something really important. But because it was so out of left field and made no logical sense, it took me a few days to actually act on it because, you know, I molded over a little bit, and I really couldn't see the connection between what I wanted and, and center for the center. But I thought, well, yeah, what the heck, and I, and I made the call, and I'm sure glad I did. So I love the fact that your book really encapsulates a lot of multiple ancient teachings. Um, you, you refer to this knowledge as ageless wisdom, which it, of course it is. And we're in an age right now, in the Aquarian age, where a lot of this is being rebirthed or brought up to the service. Why do you think that is? Obviously, there's a need for it. The word is, world is rather chaotic at the moment. It always is on some level. Why do you think people are really aligning with the word intuition and spiritual teachings more so than they ever have been before? Well, like you said, I think it's so needed. And this is a pretty profound thing, that when we do these practices, we actually get in direct contact with our soul. And when we do that, everything changes. The soul, our souls are part of the soul of humanity. And when we make contact with the soul, we realize that we're, we're part of one great soul and we're interconnected with everyone and everything. And that completely changes our perspective on everything. And in the same way that in our personal lives, when we go through traumas, losing a job or losing a mate or some, some really awful upheaval, we tend to go within and start to work on ourselves. 
And I think that that's what's happening globally. We're, we're being pushed into this deeper kind of um, evolution and involvement. Barbara Marks Hubbard talks about this a lot, and so does Eckhart Tolle. They both say mm-hmm. that evolution happens as some sort of crisis, you know, and I think that that's what we're experiencing. And we're kind of being forced to take this next step of our evolution, which is this higher consciousness, this connection to this, um, the higher self and soul and our entry into the subtle worlds. I think I have another way of putting this, which I use with my clients all the time, that God will slam you down into the sidewalk until you get it. And so it generally is birthed out of a tremendous need that comes from crisis, as you said, whether it's a a larger crisis or a personal crisis and hits someone close to home. In the book, um, for those of you that have studied any kind of esoteric teachings, we know that... um, the Yoga Sutras, which is all about uh, Patanjali and his classic work, you drew a lot of wisdom, not just from that Hindu, but yet they're all tied together with this beautiful string. Um, absolutely. When I, um, I'm getting a terrible echo. You're, you're echoing and I'm echoing. It stopped right now. Should I start again? Hello? We're fine. Okay. I was getting an echo from you and an echo from me. Um, before I started, can we we can edit this out, right? Let's just keep going. Okay. Before I started the book, I thought very carefully about how to best um, get this message across because the source material is very esoteric, and I wanted to reach a wider group of people than those that are already reading esoteric books and, mm-hmm. and believe in these concepts. And so I looked at ways to make this credible to this wider audience. And I didn't have a background in world religion, so I had to really crack the books and do a lot of studying. But, but I, what I discovered is that this teaching is universal, that it, it lies at the heart of all of our spiritual traditions. And it's the esoteric core that actually forms the very basis of all of our great spiritual traditions. And that science is coming to the same conclusions now with all the... the um, pioneering work that's done by Dean Radin and uh, Rupert Sheldrake and people like that. So I wanted to display it that way to show people that it's not just this esoteric concept that may or may not be true, but that it, it is found in all traditions and that science is backing this up now. Well, I also really like the fact that you are, you're kind of taking that and putting it into one language that's that's not a common language, but a language that everyone would understand. And you write about the fact that there are three types of telepathy. And can you explain a little bit about that? Because I thought that was very interesting. I'm not sure people are aware that this comes from three different places. Sure. And, and I'd like to address the point that you made earlier, that it's in, it's in everyday language. And mm-hmm. I found that to be really hard to tell you the truth because the source material is very esoteric and very esoteric language. And so I, I really struggled sometimes to try to find words to make it clear to people. And I often just sort of sat in front of my computer, you know, sort of frozen for a while before I could figure it out. So it took me quite a while. But um, I knew it had to be very accessible, that anybody can pick it up. And I wanted it to be very how-to because these books are so often presented just in theory. So I I looked at the three types of telepathy, and um, the first is instinctual or feeling-based telepathy. This Mm -hmm. is our gut feelings. And I found that this teaching is everywhere. In the esoteric tradition, they say that it centers around the third chakra, 
And so I looked to see if there's some way to validate that. And I found all kinds of really interesting examples. Um, the kahunas, for example, the native priests in Hawaii, right. believe that telepathic messages are sent from um, one solar plexus to another. The African Bushmen uh, believe that we're all connected uh, with a line of energy between one belly button and another, and that's how telepathic messages are sent. And, and the Australian Aboriginals, they believe it's their miwi, which exists in the pit of their stomach that allows them to see or hear at a distance. The Japanese call this kind of communication haraji or belly talk, mm-hmm. and then we call it gut feelings. So I thought, oh, how interesting. Look at all these different cultures are saying the same thing, that all originates from this place, the solar would, plexus area. Would you also refer to this as a clairsentient type of feeling? Yeah, yeah. I think it includes okay. um, our psychic awareness. Right, right. It's... Um, it's, it's usually strongest with the people we're closest to. And mm-hmm. Rupert Sheldrake did a big study of this. I think they had something like a thousand different case studies. And he makes this point over and over again in his books that it's the strongest with the people that we have the strongest emotional connections with. It's feeling-based. So a heart-to-heart, heart, yeah, a heart-to-heart connection. The second you say is, is mental, mm-hmm. mind-to-mind. I, I'd like a right. little more information that because you know does that mean the people that we're close to i also have a mental connection with them too or is that just the feeling state of telepathy well that's an interesting question because what's often considered uh, mental telepathy really is this instinctive type of feeling telepathy and in the uh, scientific um, experiments they have a hard time separating out what's mental telepathy and what's clairvoyance in my opinion, from the studies that I've, I've had, I think it's all clairvoyance, that mm-hmm. mental telepathy is really a much higher skill. It's really being able to attune mind to mind from a distance. And you can see this in the work of Helena Blotsky, who wrote The Secret Doctrine, and Alice Bailey, who worked with a, a Tibetan and sure. brought through, I think, 17 or 19 books. Mm-hmm. They were able to attune mind to mind. And uh, in one of the Bailey books, she said that this will be the preferred mode of communication in about 300 years. So, it's so not, this is more of an ESP kind of thing or more than that? No, I think ESP is, is, is a type of clairvoyance. Okay. So, again, that's, that's the more feeling-based instinctive stuff. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is higher, and um, most of us aren't there yet, but we will be. I mean, we so have would you these... refer to it as super consciousness, that connection? At the um, higher level? No, I think that that's more spiritual. This is just okay. plain higher mental, mental. But you have to have a really focused mind. Right. And, um, you know, our examples are, are these uh, higher beings um, giving the information to these people who wrote them down. I think the Course in Miracles is another example of this. Just so being able to mill what about mind people mind. that are um, doing remote viewing? Would they be part of that mind-to-mind? Process? I actually, th- well, remote viewing really is applied clairvoyance. Okay. It's often referred to in that way, so I'd say it, it's um, related to the instinctual and feeling-based level. Now, you mentioned something that's very interesting. It sounds a little paranormal, which I always find fascinating. So, the higher beings, do you consider these, I mean, I know in my language, I use the word downloads a lot. So, even your aha moment, um, your mental health day, <laughs> Yeah. Were these beings, um, how would you describe them? Well, that's a really good question, and I'm not sure I can answer that. Um, I'll define spiritual telepathy, which is communication from the subtle worlds, from our souls, or from even higher beings. 
Mm-hmm. And communication from this level is always telepathic. We don't audibly hear the information. It's dropped into our brains and then formulated into thought. So I don't know exactly where this came from, from my soul or from some higher level. It's said that the, the higher beings that guide the evolution of our planet cannot physically affect life on Earth. They have to work through us. So they look for those who have this connection between the soul and the brain, and they can literally throw down information, and then, boom, it registers. Right. I, I know um, there are a lot of people that feel that we're all, some of us are getting these messages at the same time, and not everyone acts on them. Some of them just file away for the future. Um, but I do want to also talk about the third, because you say the third is the highest. That's spiritual telepathy. And of course, that is the title of your book. By the way, for those of you that are listening, we're speaking with Colleen Morrow. She is the author of really an amazing book that I suggest you check out, Spiritual Telepathy, Ancient Teachings to Access the Wisdom of Your Soul. So let's just talk for a minute before we go to break about the whole concept of the third and highest spiritual telepathy. Well, again, it's communication from the subtle worlds, from our souls, or from even higher levels. And the higher levels are the universal mind, and I have a whole section on that that I can tell you about when we have um, a bigger block of time. That th- This is really the experience that we call genius when we get information from these higher levels. And um, it was really interesting to research all of this. I mean, again, it took years and years to do it. But the way we cultivate this is through a type of meditation called creative meditation or, or Raja Yoga. And it's an active type of meditation, and that's what I like about it. Most meditations focus on quieting the mind. Mm -hmm. And this type of meditation, we're actually going a step further, and we're training the mind to access information from the soul. We're actually creating a bridge between the soul, the mind, and the brain. And those three aspects have to be linked for us to be able to get the information. So day by day, we're extending our attention upward, and we're anchoring small threads of energy that eventually become a bridge. We're gonna hold that thought about the bridge. We'll be right back. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? Well then, meet Dr. Kimberly McGeorge and her cutting-edge breakthrough knowledge that combines science with possibility. Dr. Kimberly brings real-life answers and healing to those open to alternative solutions. 
She teaches solution-based programs and classes that will change all areas of your life forever. Specializing in conscious creation, intuitive readings, and energy medicine, you can rapidly shift health, relationships, business, and money and abundance challenges quickly. Receive her best-selling book, Secret to Everything, at no cost by going to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone. That's right. Transformation can start now. Just go to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone and receive Dr. Kimberly's book for free. While science pursues fact, magic accesses the quantum level, bridging random facts to form truth. As long as science and magic remain separate and polarized, the truth cannot be known. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. Join me on the Science of Magic radio program, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. During each episode, I'll be speaking with experienced and respected scientists and mystics. From astrologers to astronomers, from medical doctors to shaman, the scientific method to dowsing and intuition, we'll weave together information from seemingly divergent practices to promote unity and enlightenment. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, and the Science of Magic right here on the Mutual Broadcast Network. For more information, visit www.thescienceofmagic.net. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Hi, everybody. This is Johanna Carroll. I'm loving that bouncy music because we're bouncing into a great discussion with Colleen Morrow, who is our guest today. She's written an amazing book called Spiritual Telepathy, Ancient Teachings to Access the Wisdom of Your Soul. And we were talking a little bit before we went to the break about the bridge. And you mentioned something that's very near and dear to me, Raja meditation. I'm a practitioner of Kriya which, you know, in it sort of encapsulates all of that. Can you explain to people what Raja meditation is in, in a common language, simple as possible? Because I don't think a lot of people are really well-versed with what that really is. Well, it's meditation of the mind, and um, it's done in the way I started to explain. I think of it um, as wiring in the same way that our, our homes are wired for telephone and Internet connection. When we do this type of meditation, we're creating the cables that will connect us to the higher worlds. And we do this by visualizing the soul as a star about six inches above our head. And Mm. day after day after day, we project our attention upwards. 
And again, we anchor small threads of energy that eventually get stronger and stronger and form a symbolic bridge, a sort of a highway, superhighway between mm-hmm. the soul, the mind, and the brain. The information has to reach the brain or we won't have conscious awareness of it. And the concept of this bridge between the higher and lower worlds is also everywhere. And the wisdom teachings is called the Rainbow Bridge or the Bridge of Light. Right. In the Hindu text, it's called the Antakarana. And I even found it, um, to my great amazement, in the New Testament. It's called the Straight or Narrow Gate. You know, it's really interesting. I lived in Sedona for many, many years. And, of course, I was very heavily influenced by the Hopi teachings, and everything that you're saying to me, I've heard, I want to say, I've heard this, I've read this, I know this, but you put it all in this one great book. And so in the Hopi, that you know, they really, you talk about the gut. And so for a lot of men, I know that I personally work with when they say, my gut told me, it's like, okay, guess what's really happening? <laughs> you just plugged in your soul. So they always refer to the, um, the solar plexus, the gut, as the web which I thought was really fascinating because when the internet was first created, it was called the web. And so the Akashic library, the books of wisdom, you know, this eternal wisdom accessibility that you're talking about, that library being stored right there. So if somebody really wanted to access that, they really want to develop this in terms of your work and your book particularly, how does an individual cultivate this type of telepathic perception or connection that's unique for them? Well, it all starts with the soul, that the soul is really our portal to the higher worlds. And I see this as an evolutionary step, that we're taking our first steps out of the human kingdom and into the spiritual kingdoms. We're moving from the strictly human worlds to the superhuman worlds. So we're essentially sending up our energy, sending up our energy to create this alignment that then follows that the human world is that our human experience in, in, encapsulates the spiritual world as well. And so we've expanded our awareness, we've expanded our consciousness beyond the human levels to the subtle levels too. And then we have direct access to those higher worlds. I know I'm very hin- excited about this when I was reading it. I thought, oh my, this is really important. And it just kept me slogging through all this really hard to read material for yeah, years. Yeah, I mean, I really have to honor you for all this mental research that you did. <laughs> I think I would have given up or something, but obviously you had, you know, your higher team working with you. So in the Hindu tradition, they refer to, you know, the different uh, evolutions of time as the dwarpas. And I know that we're in an ascending age right now, the age of ascension. So do you think that a lot of this, we're being lifted up or rising up or ascending because of the energy, because maybe these ancient wisdom codes and teachings that the timing is right? Is it historic? Is it energetic? Obviously, it's telepathic on some level. What's really igniting all of this awareness? I think what you said is absolutely true. It's just sort of part of the evolutionary process. And we're ready to make this leap beyond the human world. Barbara Marks Hubbard has a a nice saying. She said that we're the crossover generation, and it's our duty to sort of lead the way from one stage of our species evolution to the next. And so there's many, many teachings about these levels of humanity, uh, usually seven levels. And in uh, The Secret Doctrine, Helena Boblotsky talks about root races, and she's not talking about race in the way that we know it, but she's talking about evolutions or stages of humanity. And I read that, and I thought, okay, this is pretty 
far out. I don't think I'm going to put this in the book until I found it everywhere. You know, it's in the Hindu tradition. It's in the Native mm-hmm. traditions, like you That's said, that, that, that we're about to, to take this next level. And so I think that the energies are intensifying and they're sort of pushing us and helping us to do this. You know, I remember when I was being raised in Connecticut and I went to Roman Catholic school and all of that, and I sang in church and one of my good buddies was the priest, you know, who led, you know, our, it was a folk mass that we did. How, how radical was that? But I remember sitting on the, the steps of the altar with him one night after practice. And we had this whole conversation about that because I always did want a dialogue with the divine. I knew I could talk to them, but I wanted a response. And it sort of goes along with, you know, what you have in your book that he told me, because my question was, you know, does the universe talk to you? And his response was, yeah, of course. And I'm like, well, why aren't you teaching everybody else this? You know, (laughs) why don't the masses know how to do this? Because in the ancient world, only the initiates, only the people who are at a higher level, I guess, on some level were, you know, given access to this kind of training, initiation, etc. Now, I think it's great. It's available to everyone. So what is the basic practice that people that are listening to this, what are they, you know, it's plugging into your soul. What's the first thing they need to do that would really help them? Besides well, reading your book, of course. <laughs> yeah, I have, there's actually 12 meditations in my book and two additional practices. I wanted it to be very how-to and very step-by-step. And so the very first um, step is what we call the refinement of the physical, mental, and emotional bodies. And the reason this is so important is that we need to create a direct line of communication, again, between the soul, the mind, and the brain. And we do this by purifying the physical body and quieting our minds and emotions. If we're ill, tired, or especially if we have mental or emotional static, it's really hard for our brains to register higher wisdom and ideas. Mental static actually repels these subtle currents of thought. And I had a lot of problems with this, and I wanted to be honest about my own process and talked about it a lot in the book. Um, What I discovered is that this is, again, everywhere. Refinement practices are part of every tradition. The, the, The techniques and methods vary, but the requirements are exactly the same. Purity of body, control of the emotions, and stability of mind. And so in the book, I included the refinement practices that have helped me the most. Um, I had a lot of trouble with this because when you get really serious about quieting yourself down, it's easy for anything unresolved to come bubbling up in your consciousness. The quieter we are, the easier it is. And what I discovered is that I had a lot of old anger and resentment that I was still walking around with. Hmm. And I was kind of surprised at how much was there because in my younger years, I had done so much therapeutic work. Mm-hmm. But it just kept r- rolling up whenever I, you know, I really tried to go deep. And so finally I worked with a spiritual healer named Stephen Lumiere. And he gave me three meditations to do every day. One was on loving kindness, one was on forgiveness, and one is on compassion. Because forgiveness Beautiful. was really my issue. Okay. And so I did these day after day after day after day. And I started to quiet down. I was more forgiving. And as I, as I did that, I was finally able to meditate deeply. And um, what I discovered in thinking all about this is that some of these old portrayals I had were really old. And there's a difference between getting over something and making your peace with it and really Mm -hmm. forgiving the person that hurt you. 
Mm-hmm. And so I had to go back and do some kind of remedial forgiveness work. And, and compassion is a big part of this because I got so frustrated one day, I went out and checked every book on forgiveness that I could find from the library. Oh, my gosh. And one was especially, yeah, one was especially helpful. And I, I wrote about this in the book. It's called Forgiveness as a Choice. I think the author is Robert Enright. And he says that you can't really forgive somebody until you feel compassion for them. And I never thought about that before. And so he has a sort of whole journal process. And I didn't actually do every step, but I just started to do some of the techniques and, and realized that everybody's doing the best they can, that if I had the same circumstances as some of the people that hurt me, I might have acted the same way, you know, because they're just doing the best they can and, and given their circumstances. And that really had a very profound effect on me. That's, that's what really shifted things for me when I was able to forgive all that old stuff. You were able to um, really let it go on another level too, which is maybe the timing was just right. Maybe you needed to, maybe you needed to hold on to it so you could write the book. I don't mean to be, you know, trite or anything like that. One of the things that you talked about was purity of the body. So what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Does that mean people have to give up sugar? They can't, you know, have coffee anymore. Forget the alcohol. Can you kind of define that a little bit more? Purity of body. What are you really saying? Well, I think that means. what works for each person. There's no one size fits all. Not everybody has to be vegetarian or give up anything, but your body tells you, your body tells you very loud and very clear what it wants and what it doesn't want. As you're, you're bringing this higher energy into the physical body, you'll start to feel things. I started to get um, bad headaches. You know, I had like allergic reactions to certain things and I didn't want to eat meat. You know, the fact Mm -hmm. of just, I didn't, I never ate a lot of meat, but I didn't Mm -hmm. want to chew. I didn't want to have chicken or even fish for a while because I didn't want to chew anything. Flesh, you know, it just sort of disgusted me. And Uh so it was like this whole process of the body balancing itself out. You're bringing in this higher, finer vibration and it's making shifts and it's telling you what it wants and what it doesn't. And you can have kind of extreme reactions. People say that they have much stronger reactions to alcohol or sugar, and so right. they, they limit that. And so it really depends on the individual, that our bodies tell us we should just eat intuitively. Our bodies will tell us what it wants and, and what it doesn't want. And so it's a process of just listening to yourself and finding out what works for you individually. You know, I use this process of intuitive grocery shopping. <laughs> really, yeah. I do. I'll take my, uh, before I go in, you know, I'll say a little prayer as far as, you know, whatever's going to bless my system, what, whatever is for my best, highest and holiest good. And I'll, particularly in the vegetable area, I'll take my right hand. I won't touch anything, but, you know, maybe about two inches above the food and I'll just kind of go along. And the minute it starts to get warm, that's my body telling me, okay, we need some of that. And so that's the way (laughs) I I use my uh, intuition to go grocery shopping. So One of the things that I thought I really enjoyed reading, because I'm really big on numerology and I've studied and I taught teach um, Tibetan numerology, is the repetition of the number seven. We only have a minute or so to talk about it before we go to break. But what is the significance? Seven is such a sacred number. That's right. It's everywhere. And, you know, people that study this start scratching their head after a while and thinking, why, why? And so I finally found an answer in The Secret Doctrine, which is really not an easy read. But she talks about how the square has long been the symbol of the physical world, that it Mm -hmm. represents the four directions and the four races of man. And the triangle has long been the symbol of the spiritual world. And so when you put the the triangle, merge the triangle and the square, you get a seven-pointed star. 
which um, represents the alignment of heaven and earth. And spirit into matter creates life. So the three into the four create the seven. That's really interesting because the three in Tibetan numerology is the number of creation and the four is uh, being on the earth and being really solid. So we're going to come back. This is Johanna Carroll. Our show is Dialogue with Divinity. We're speaking with Colleen Morrow, who's the author of Spiritual Telepathy, and we will be right back. As host of Dialogue with Divinity, I am thrilled to join the Exxon Broadcast Network and their growing number of affiliates. My quest for a connection to the divine ignited my successful career path as an international spiritual counselor for over 40 years, an author of four books, and well-known metaphysical educator. My clients call me their spiritual mama. So my job is to offer you a radio show to help you grow spiritually with wisdom and get specific tools from guests who are experts in their field. Tune into Dialogue with Divinity and be part of the conversation with Spirit. My goal, your happy soul. For more information, please visit my website at johannacarroll.com. Coming soon to the Exxon Broadcast Network is a different perspective with me, Kevin Randall, as your host. We'll be taking a close look at what is happening in the world of UFOs today with side trips into the paranormal. Guests will range from those who are household names to those who have a different perspective on a variety of topics. No topic will be taboo, but there will be tough questions asked as we all search for the truth about UFOs, the paranormal, and those things that excite us. Sometimes we'll agree with a guest and sometimes we won't, but we'll try to keep the program topical. For those of you who would like to read, be sure to visit www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and remember to listen to the other fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun. 
Now her best-selling book, The Fun of Dying, is available in stores worldwide. So if you wonder whether death ends life, how it feels to die, or what heaven might be like, The Fun of Dying was written for you. And if you have always been afraid of death, or if you worry that your life is no meaning, let The Fun of Dying ease your fears and bring new meaning to your life. Nothing said in The Fun of Dying is based on the teachings of any religion. Instead, Roberta draws on evidence to explain how death happens, how it feels, and what comes next. A lot of the best death-related evidence was produced in the first half of the 20th century. When it is put together with recent discoveries, it tells a consistent and amazing story. Roberta Grimes blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying, is available on Amazon and at stores worldwide wherever books are sold. and welcome back from our short break. This is Johanna Carroll. You're listening to Dialogue with Divinity. By the way, if you would like to have any more information about my personal work, you can find me on johannacarroll.com. And you can also find a listing of all our shows on xzbn.net. So we're going to bring back Colleen Moore. She's written this great book. You've got to go check it out. It's called Spiritual Telepathy. Ancient Teachings to Access the Wisdom of Your Soul. So we were just talking about, you know, all these different teachings that are sort of merging onto one roadway. Science and spirituality is finally, hopefully, you know, teaming up here. You spoke a little bit before about something that's always intriguing to me, and that's contact with the higher worlds. Can you explain to people that are listening, really and truly, when you plug in your soul, what are the benefits of daily contact with a higher worlds? Well, the soul really is our highest and most reliable source of direction and guidance. Our personal intuition gives us information about our day-to-day lives, our work, and our relationships. But the soul knows our higher purpose. It's the repository of all the many lifetimes of experience. Mm-hmm. So it's really the highest level of guidance that we can receive. And when we're accessing the soul, it's at that point that we have access to the even higher worlds. We have access to the universal or divine mind, which is the great storehouse of all information and knowledge. And this was something I kind of stumbled on when I was researching the subject. And I mentioned it briefly before that this is really the experience we call genius. Uh, one of my favorite books was uh, called Higher Creativity, and it was written by Willis Harmon, the former president of the Institute of Noetic Sciences. And I think it was written in the 80s. And he looked at the biographies of many artists, writers, composers, and scientists and discovered that their greatest achievements came from an intuitive breakthrough. And so before I started my book, I read that book again. And I went to his bibliography and I started to check out some of his original sources. And when I read the full text of some of these interviews, a really interesting pattern emerged. I saw that many of these people that we call geniuses we're talking about their creative process and exactly the way it's explained in the wisdom teachings that it's through the soul that they had access to this universal flow of infra- information and inspiration. So one after another, all these geniuses talked about it in exactly the same way. Some of them used the exact same terminology. Uh, two, I think, composers talked about appropriating the information for their own individual use. Like it's just out there for everybody and you sort of bring it down and use it for your individual purpose. You appropriate, you know, what is universal. And I was just transfixed. I thought this was so interesting. 
You know, I know that the, the name of the book escapes me, but you're such a great researcher. I'm hoping you remember. Do you remember the book that Richard Bach wrote about? Oh, what the heck was the name of it? That all this information trickles down at the higher level. Mm-hmm. And those who are not necessarily supposed to get it, but some people might, you know, I'm, I'm going to use a simple example. The woman that created post-it notes, <laughs> you know, yeah. she had this brilliant, I'm making this really simple. She had this brilliant idea. And how many other people said, I had that thought. I had that thought, but I didn't think it would work. So, I mean, is this the genius kind of ideas that are coming through or am I making it too simplistic? No, I think that's part of it. I think that's part of it. I mean, some of these people have created, you know, really groundbreaking scientific discoveries Absolutely. or beautiful works yeah. of art that, true, you true. Know, that are classics. So we pay attention to these people and we call them geniuses and we think they're special and different than we are. They think they, we have something, they have something we don't. But what was exciting to me is that we're all, we all have the ability to be geniuses. And it sort of answered a question that I always had about why do only some people have this ability to communicate with the higher worlds? And I loved all the books and even the cheesiest made-for-TV movies about Joan of Arc. And very touching to me that she had this ability to talk to saints and angels. Mm-hmm. I think, gosh, why? You know, I'd like to do that. And Eileen Caddy, uh, who received the guidance that led to the founding of the Findhorn community in Scotland, and mm-hmm. it's always stirred this great longing in me, and I think, why do some pe- only some people have this? I want to have this, too. And so that's one of the reasons that this subject inspired me and excited me so much that I was willing to spend all the time that I did to research it, is that we can have these experiences, too. It's just a process of making this contact with the higher worlds. And it says yeah, and you're... Come into- I'm sorry, go ahead. We come into each lifetime at the stage where we left off the last one. So mm-hmm, some, right. some of these people are just a little bit farther down the road than the rest of us, but they have the exact same equipment that we have. And so we I, can do this too. I think the desire is there. I think fear, as you know, it's such a prohibitor. I mean, it really acts like a block wall that people aren't willing to walk through. But like my used to say, well, if you can't get through the door, you go through the window, you know? Mm -hmm. So I do feel that a lot of people in their own quiet, unique way are trying to move towards that and not feeling anymore that it's only for the elite. You know, it's not for the elite. It's not, you know, I'm not bashing religion or anything, but, you know, there were parts of certain religions that unless you were at a certain level, you were not indoctrinated into these teachings. Well, now these are universal teachings, as you say in your book. And so before we go any further, tell people how to find your book and how to find you. Um, my website is spiritualtelepathy.net, not .com, .net. And people can go there and read the introduction to the book and read some reviews and the endorsements and so on. And there's links throughout the site to the Amazon page to buy the book. Now, I know that you give lectures and seminars. We're just going to go off topic for a minute and talk about you. Uh, you do give lectures and seminars on the subject of meditation and spiritual telepathy. Are those listed on your website as well? Uh, the interviews that I have upcoming are. Um, okay, good. I'm going to be doing some things next year. I'm going to France, which I'm really excited about. So Whoa. As soon as I get, yeah, I get those details worked out. That'll be listed too. Is this something that you're offering to other people yeah, it's, in France? Yeah, it's a public... Yeah, it'll be a public um, program. And somebody heard one of these interviews that I've done. You know, sometimes you don't know if anybody's listening, especially the Internet ones. 
but she heard it in France and she contacted mm-hmm. me and said, Oh, mm-hmm. I love this. I got your book and I want you to bring mm-hmm. you over and all expenses paid. So that's really great. Yeah. There's something wonderful um, when you're, you're really feeding the global consciousness on some level. So you write that this experience that we call genius, which you're referring to comes from contact. I want to go back to this with the subtle worlds and Can you, you know, I know there's geniuses and visionaries, but I sort of feel like we all have the opportunity in our own world, our own life, to come from a very, very brilliant place. And for those of you that are listening, I have read the book and what she does, what Colleen does in the book, she gives you, she's not just teaching research or information. She's giving you tools that you can really use as far as meditations and things that'll unplug you from the craziness of the world and plug you into your soul at this higher level. So when you talk about the value of that, can you expound on that a little bit? What, what is the value for someone, you know, just as their everyday life, they may not necessarily want to go out and create the next post-it note, but they want to create something really peaceful and warm and loving in their life. How can that change them by the higher worlds? Well, here's what I've discovered, and I didn't find this in any book, but this is just my own experience, mm-hmm. is that in these meditations, day after day, have a great effect on our lives, that at the end of the meditations, we ask that soul light pour down over our lower bodies to calm our minds and emotions, to invigorate our, our physical bodies. And it's the daily contact with the higher vibration, the light of our souls, that I think speeds up our, our own evolution. And what I discovered is that it started to shift me in very subtle but very profound ways over time. And I started to see things from a higher perspective. And I just was a more tolerant person and, you know, just more touched by the human condition that we're all in and mm-hmm. less judgmental. So mm-hmm. it, it, it had a very profound effect on my life. And, again, it's a very subtle energetic process, this, this alignment and this contact with this higher level, that it really starts to sort of move us up. And I think people need to also, for those of you that are listening, if you feel agitated and you feel that life has given up on you, this allows you to, uh, like I always say, put your spiritual glasses on and have a new perception of your life. But not only that, you know, if you really want the world to change, there's something in you that has to change as well. So the first thing we want you to do is to get this book. So um, you write that humanity, we talked about it a little bit before, we really are on the brink of that evolutionary leap of faith. You know, we're going through this crazy stuff in the United States right now that we're not going to talk about as far as the election. Um, you see it as profound as our emergence from animal to union. Man, that's kind of extreme. So we've got like one minute to talk about that. Well, this is, a, this is our next leap. We evolved from animal to human, and now okay. we're evol- evolving from human to superhuman. And mm. when we, take, we make these contacts with the soul, we're crossing that boundary from human to superhuman development. The subtle world then becomes part of the human world. Our consciousness expands beyond the human territory. So, so Colleen, time. I want to thank you for, th- for all of you that are listening that are ready to make that leap, whether you call it a leap of faith, I would definitely tell you the handbook that's going to help you is Spiritual Telepathy, Ancient Teachings to Access the Wisdom of Your Soul. Colleen, thank you very much for being with us today. And, you know, we we'll hope to have you back and 
see what's what the next leap of faith is in your life and certainly to talk about your program in France next year. So thank you for being here. Thank you. I enjoy talking to you. Okay. So this is Johanna Carroll. If you'd like more information about what I personally am doing and what I'm personally offering, you can find all that information at johannacarroll.com. You're listening to the X-Zone Broadcast Network. And for the listing of all of our shows with all of our hosts, you can find that at xzbn.net. I also want to tell you that I am going to be offering an amazing retreat in Maui next year for you to touch into those higher energies that we were talking about before. So I hope you'll all consider joining me. Our show is a weekly show. We bring you the wisdoms, keepers of our time. And I want to thank you for listening and send you all many blessings. Thank you. Bye for now.